When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A science story, huh? Is NYU scientist the... I felt And I just thought, well... I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Aaron Barker. Sometimes science is scary, and this week our stories are all about deep fears, whether they're rational or not. Our first story is from Steve White. It was recorded in the Before Times in December 2019 at the Tank in New York City. The theme that night was Baby It's Cold Outside. I uh, joined a gym two weeks ago. Um, hold your applause because <laughs> the, uh, the, the trainer that signed me up was showing me around where everything was. And as he's bringing me into the locker room, I remembered why I haven't belonged to a gym in several years. And it's because locker rooms terrify me. Um, this particular locker room looked immaculate and spotless, but to me, all locker rooms are a hotbed of germs and disease. I, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, and, and one of the ways it manifests is with uh, germophobia. In my case, it's, it's pretty intense. And um, I'm not just worried about getting sick or getting a disease. I also worry that if I get a germ on my hand or something, I might unknowingly pass it along to someone else unwittingly maybe even a stranger, maybe I'll shake someone's hand, and maybe my immune system can handle that germ, but they have a compromised immune system, and they go home and get sick and, and die. And, and I'm responsible for, for killing people. <laughs> and I can't hand, I mean, the, the, the guilt is just intense. So as a result, I just become very vigilant about not getting contaminated and and looking for where germs might be. As I'm talking now, I'm thinking about this microphone because <laughs> there will be seven people speaking into this microphone. There's, there's, a night, there's shows seven nights a week at this venue. Um, I checked it out. There's two to seven shows a night. So if my math is right, that's a lot of spit in this microphone. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm trying not to. Uh, make contact with it. Nothing against, I'm sure you guys' spit is like perfectly clean and, and safe, but I'm, I'm playing it safe. So I'm, I'm getting the tour through this locker room, and now I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't want to, and, and my, my feeling about where disease comes from, it's mo mainly the orifices. The human orifices, I think, are, are dispelling a lot of our germs and diseases. 
And, and uh, you know, the mouth and nose is enough, but you go in a locker room and people take their clothes off, and just like that, you've doubled the number of exposed orifices <laughs> in, in the area. And, and so I'm like making my way through the locker room, make, trying to make myself small so I don't come into physical contact with the bench or a locker in case someone's butt like touched it. And, and, and the rational part of my brain knows it's highly unlikely that like a guy's butt touched the locker and then if I use the locker, this unknown butt germ will get on my hand and then I'll go out into the world and unknowingly pass the butt germ to someone and they go home, home and die from unknown butt germs. I, I like the rational part of me knows that, but the OCD part of me asks like, well, what if? Can, can you guarantee that is not possible? And the answer is no, you cannot. There is, it might be one in a billion, but there's a chance that can happen. And I can't handle that guilt. So I'm, I'm walking there. Now there's, there's two ways to treat uh, OCD and germophobia. If, if you ask most psychiatrists or psychologists or doctors familiar with OCD, they'll tell you there's only two ways that are known to be reliably effective. And one is medication, which I'm on, and the other is behavioral therapy. And behavioral therapy, the way uh, Dr. Kozak, who is a behavioral therapist I worked with for a while, the way he explained it to me, um, it's very simple the way it works. It's basically habit breaking. So when uh, you're, if, if in my case, I'm afraid I have a germ on my hand, that's the obsession. The related compulsion is I want to wash my hands and that will relieve the anxiety and the fear that I might be killing somebody soon. And although I get relief in that moment, uh, Dr. Kozak said, what, I've, what I'm doing is I'm training my brain to link the hand washing with the obsession, and I'm teaching my brain that I was correct to have this fear, and that makes the fear stronger. So every time I wash my hands, the fears of germs get that much more intense. And... The, the fix from the behavioral therapist's point of view is to not do the compulsion. And for an OCD person, if you don't do the compulsion, if you don't wash your hands, that fear, again, in my case, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to start killing people soon, and it just starts building and building, and, and you can't think of anything else. And it's like, I just got to wash my hands. And, and what Dr. Kozak said, if you can make it to, like, 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, you will find that that fear will eventually start to subside. It'll build all that time, and then it'll start to subside. So if you can remember that and just sit through it and, and don't be scared and embrace the fear whenever you're scared of something, um, that's the trick. So I'm, I'm in the locker room, and I'm, I'm imagining Dr. Kozak there in a, in a lab coat. Dr. Kozak never wore a lab coat, but I... <laughs> I like to picture him in a lab coat because it feels more persuasive to me. And I imagine him saying, like, Steve, you're scared of this. This is an, this is an opportunity. Like, touch the bench, touch the lockers. But I don't have 20 minutes to, like, sit in my fear. So I'm like, fuck that. And I just, you know, I get, I get out of the locker room. The, the bottom line is, uh, since I signed up two weeks ago, I've been back to the gym uh, zero times. <laughs> But locker rooms aren't the only 
places where you find nudity. Um, strip clubs are notorious <laughs> for having a laissez-faire attitude about clothing. And uh, when I lived in San Francisco, I lived a block up from the Mitchell Brothers O'Farrell Theater, which happened to be the most notorious strip club in San Francisco and considered to be one of the most notorious strip clubs in the world. It's world famous. I could see out my window, I'd see buses pull up every day and tourists would get out. Like people had heard of the Mitchell Brothers O'Farrell Theater. And one of the reasons it was famous is because it's not just topless, it's completely naked. And the other reason is supposedly they're loose with the rules there and anything goes and crazy shit happens. And so I'm, I walk by the theater every day and I'm curious, like, what's the big deal? Why are people traveling halfway around the world to go into this place? And, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to seeing beautiful, beautiful people undress provocatively. I mean, that's also a, a plus for me if, if I were to go in, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm just terrified that the, the other problem is uh, stripping is sexual. I think we can agree. And, and because it's sexual, I, naked people and me thinking about sex, I start thinking about STDs. Now, there's no reason to believe that a stripper has a higher chance of having an STD than I do, but that's my OCD, just, it just hooks that up, and it's like, oh my God, that place has got to be covered in like a thin layer of STD. Like everything in there is just STD. So so I was curious, but I'd I'd walk by there and I, you know, I'd refrain from going in. And and then one Christmas season, um a a guy I knew from work who used to have a connection with the theater for a Christmas present put me on the guest list to the Mitchell Brothers O'Farrell Theater's private Christmas party. Now, I'd heard about this party, and my friends had heard about it, and everyone was always like, oh, my God, can you imagine what must happen in that party after what goes on in the regular club? And, and so I, I, had, I was on the guest list, and I thought, well, there's no way I can handle that. That is beyond. And I, but I tell my friends, because this is a good bragging opportunity. It's like, guys, I got, I got, a, I got an in. And they're like, oh, my God, you got to tell us everything. I was like, well, I'm, I'm not going, though. And they're like, what? You, you have, like, the golden ticket to the Willy Wonka factory. You have to go. You owe it to us as a friend. And I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm not, not feeling it. And then my buddy Mel says, what, are you scared? And then I, I picture Dr. Kozak in his lab coat standing there, and he's like, you know, Steve, this is a great opportunity to address your, uh, your fears, so go to the uh, private strip club party. So I go to the private strip club party. And as I walk in the door, um, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm afraid what I'm going to see. And I'm surprised to see everyone is very well dressed. People are in beautiful gowns and dresses, and the guys are in suits. A couple of them are in tuxes. Like, this is their special Christmas party. It's their big going out night of the year. And there's, like, there's no nudity or there's nothing. It's just like a regular Christmas party. So I'm relieved and a little disappointed, but mostly relieved. And But I have this other problem in that I'm very introverted when it comes to, like, cocktail parties. And all these people know each other 
very well, and I don't know anybody. So I, I make a beeline for the bar, and I get two triple vodka sodas. And I just down one of them, and I take the other for regular drinking speed. And then <laughs> and I'm working my way through. So this, this party was at a swanky suite in a penthouse of a hotel downtown San Francisco. So I'm, I'm finding my way through the crowd. I'm looking for some space where I can, like, be alone with my drink. And, and I go into the, the master bedroom, which is just as big as the living room and just as crowded with people. And I see in the corner there's a hot tub jacuzzi that's not being used, and no one's over there. So I was like, there's my spot. So I go over there, and I stand with my back to the, the jacuzzi hot tub, and I just start people watching and drinking my drink. And after a while, the buzz starts setting in, and I, I start thinking, you know what? What am I so freaked out about? This is just, these are just people like me, and, and this is just a Christmas party, and it's very nice. And, and, and as I'm starting to relax, I feel this warmth behind me. And I turn around, and the jacuzzi tub has been filled. It is now filled with water and steam's coming off the surface. And there are these two beautiful naked women in the tub. And they're just kind of like splashing each other and being playful. And, I'm, and now the booze is really hitting, and I'm like hammered. And I'm just trying to figure out, how did this tub get filled so quickly? And I'm... I'm staring at them, and because I'm I'm drunk and I'm not realizing I'm being rude by staring, but I'm just looking confused. And so one of them kind of paddles over to me and, and says, like, "So are you gonna get in or what?" And and I was like, "Oh, there's no way." <laughs> That's you know, by my count, there's at least six orifices under that water. And, and water's going in and out of them like it goes in and out of the Gowanus Canal. And I, I, that is not a place for me to go. And I, I say, thank, thank you for the invitation, um, but I'm, I'm more of a dry person. I'm, I'm going to stay out here. And then uh, she says to me, what, are you scared? So Dr. Kozak appears in my mind. <laughs> in his lab coat, and he said, you know, Steve, this is a good opportunity. And before I know it, I'm just, I'm kind of like having an out-of-body experience. I just see myself disrobing, and, and I get naked, and I get into the tub with the two women. I'm, I'm not in there for more than a minute that, that they get out. Like, apparently, <laughs> apparently having like a drunken, introverted guy in the tub with them was not their idea of a fantasy. So they did. They leave, and, and they disappear. They're just gone. I don't even know what happened to them. And all of a sudden, I'm just floating naked at this Christmas party surrounded by wonderfully dressed people. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow. I, you know, I realize in my head, you know, tomorrow is, I'm probably going to spend a lot of my day um, on the phone trying to see if I can get some lab work done at the doctor's office. But at this moment right now, I actually don't feel scared. Thank you. That was Steve White. 
Steve thought he had it all figured out until he left the womb. He was elf number two in the old Greenwich Elementary School production of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Later, lured by the prospect of big money, Steve joined the improv world and can be seen at the Magnet Theater in Chelsea. For money, he edits video, and for fun, he plays the drums. Before we continue with today's episode, a couple reminders. We have shows coming up in New York, Toronto, St. Louis, and D.C. this September. You can check out storyclider.org shows for more information. And if you'd like to learn more about how to tell a science story, check out storyclider.org education. We offer private workshops both online and in person for groups, and we offer public courses for individuals online as well. Also, for more updates and cool behind-the-story pictures and other awesome content, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and coming soon on TikTok. Find us at Story Collider. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycollider.org donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. Hey everyone, I'm sorry to share with you that the second story of this episode has been removed as of October 24th, 2022, at the request of the storyteller. At Story Collider, we believe that stories belong to their tellers. We have great respect for the effort and creativity that they put into their stories, but also for their vulnerability. If at any point in the process, a storyteller no longer feels comfortable sharing their story, we want to honor that and respect that. So we will not be able to share this story with you, but on the bright side, we have more than 850 other stories in our back catalog that we hope you will enjoy. Thank you for listening and for your understanding in this case. The Story Collider is so grateful to Steve for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of The Story Collider, along with Managing Producer Misha Gajewski and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen, with help from Education Director Lily B. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, and Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Paula Croxon and Tracy Rowland, and by Tracy Segarra and Tracy Rowland, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost. Until next week, thanks for listening. Thank you.